Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us today as we study some of your questions, uh, try to find answers to them in the Bible. Uh, Long-time viewers know that's all we do on this program is answer viewers' questions. And if you're with us for the first time, well, that's how we work. Is we'll take your question. There's a phone number and a website listed on the screen. You use those anytime you want to get in touch with us. Give us a question. And uh, we'll try to research it and find an answer for it in the Bible. Uh, sometimes we can't find one. There's a few things the Bible doesn't talk about. Uh, and we'll let you know if we can't find an answer. But the Bible's got principles for most everything in life. And we're happy to help you find some of those and discover a little bit more about your Bible. Let me introduce my pro partner here. Mr. Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Glad Steve. you're back and ready to go. And we're going to uh, start like we always do with a question for our viewers. Sometimes I wonder if they uh, like these trivia questions. And every once in a while we'll get a call or a note that they really enjoy trying to answer them. So this is the first <laughs> one today. Uh, named Joseph's only full brother. Joseph in the Old Testament had lots of brothers, but only one of them was his full brother. The rest of them were half-brothers. So we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you and your family know that one. All right, Toby, looks like you drew the first one today, so let's start answering questions. Sure. <laughs> the first question is, when you die and go to heaven, do you become an angel or are you just a spirit? Well, <clears throat> we understand a little bit about angels, although the Bible doesn't tell us completely um, all about them. It's an interesting subject, uh, but on the limited information that the Bible does give us about angels, I believe tells us that when we die, uh, we remain just a spirit. Angels, according to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 7, uh, are separately, uniquely created beings, and they are, t they are created for a purpose. Uh, the word, the Greek word for angel is angelos, and that word simply means a servant. And so these, the angels are created beings that are meant to serve the Lord and do whatever He needs doing. And so you see a few interactions along the Old Testament and New Testament where angels deliver messages, where angels uh, give instruction and so forth. And so I believe that they're meant to do whatever uh, God needs done. And when we die, uh, our situation is a bit different. Our souls go into uh, the, the realm of the dead, uh, Hades is a, as it's called. There, there are separate abodes there. We've dealt with that in other questions. Um, but I think Scripture is clear that when we die, we uh, go there to await the final judgment. But once we're there, we, we basically know how judgment's going to end up. 
so we, no, we do not become angels. Uh, we remain spirits. Uh, there is a part in all of us that's made in the image of God. That's the eternal part of us, the spirit uh, that, that passes, uh, uh, surpasses the existence of the body. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, together on the screen. And here the Hebrew writer says this, Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So, no, we do not become angels. We, right. God has different plans for us. They're a different kind of creature. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting to learn a little bit more oh, about them. Oh, I think them. so. Yeah. <laughs> we get there. Uh, all right, we got a question about the rapture. And uh, lots of people wonder about the rapture. And this person says, do you believe in the rapture? And where in the Bible does it tell us there will be a rapture? Well, good question. Uh, let's see if we can work our way through the Bible on that a little bit. Uh, the word is not in the Bible. Uh, if you get a concordance and try to look up the word rapture, uh, you won't find it. It's just not in any English translation. Uh, the word that that comes from uh, just means caught up or transported. So that concept uh, is in the Bible, but the word itself is not there. Uh, and the theory of a secret rapture, you see people with bumper stickers that says, in case of the rapture, the driver will be missing or something like that. That whole theory popularized by the left behind book series and movie series and, and all of that, of the, the whole progression of things through the end times, uh, that doctrine is not in the Bible either. It's kind of a mishmash of lots of different verses uh, from old prophecies in Daniel and mentions in Revelation. And uh, You can take some verses and pieces of verses out and put it all together and make that theory, that doctrine sound pretty good. Uh, reading the Left Behind series, I read it just to see what it was all about, and it was very interesting. Uh, excellent fiction, I guess. Uh, was a good story and was interesting. I enjoyed it. Uh, but the doctrine is not laid out like that in the Bible. Uh, like I said, it's a number of verses taken and patched together to, to prove something that the Bible just doesn't say. Uh, I think probably the best explanation of what's going to happen at the end time when Jesus comes again, and there will be one time. The Bible is very clear about that. It talks all the way through about the day of the Lord. And there will be one day when the good and the evil are both raised. And uh, the, the one time coming is pretty solid in the Bible. But one of the best explanations is Paul's explanation to the Thessalonians. And their problem was... Uh, he had told them Jesus was going to come back and take them to heaven, and then people started dying after he had left. So there were fam Christians uh, from the church there that had died, and they had buried them, and they had worried about what was going to happen to them. Uh, Jesus hadn't come back yet. What about these folks? So Paul wrote them and explained it very clearly uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's look at a couple of verses together. Uh, he explained to them, he said, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now let's leave that on a second. That caught up word there, uh, that would be the word rapture if we translated it that way. So that's what he explained to them. No, he said, everybody's going to go meet the Lord together. Uh, the dead and the 
Christ will be raised, raised first, and then we who are still left alive will be caught up with them, and will meet the Lord in the air, and will ever be with Him. So uh, that's the best explanation of a rapture or a catching up. Jesus is not coming back to earth. He's going to appear. We're going to be caught up to meet Him in the air. Uh, then the judgment will happen. Then we'll be uh, sentenced between heaven and hell. And that will be the day of the Lord. That will be the, the one time. Now, some people want to argue about this and try to prove the left behind kind of theory and all that. Uh, I don't think we ought to spend a whole lot of time arguing about it. Uh, it's all going to uh, be a moot point uh, how and when he comes. He's going to do it his way. And all I want to do is be ready. Uh, I might be wrong about all this. Maybe there will be some kind of rapture and tribulation and all that. If so, I still want to be ready. <laughs> so I think that's where we ought to put our focus is on uh, living the Christian life right and being ready for Him to come back however that happens. But uh, the doctrine of the rapture is not in the Bible. I've always had this funny picture in my mind of the, the, the day when he does come back and there's people saying, hey, that's not how it was supposed to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he, he's going to do it how he wants yeah. to do it. You're exactly right. We, yeah. we, need, we need another seven years. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that's one verse that disproves that is the one that you read about uh, we die and then the judgment. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not a seven-year chance for mm -hmm. folks left around and... And also, that's the main problem with the doctrine of the, the secret rapture is that people think, well, I might have a second chance. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, All right, next question. The viewer wants to know, <clears throat> just an easy question here. Who was Melchizedek, and uh, how did he have no beginning or end? Well, the character Melchizedek is a bit of an enigma when it comes to understanding him from the Bible anyway. He's only mentioned about five times. Uh, we'll look at one of them on the screen right now, Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. This is the first time he's mentioned. It's the story of Abram and Lot. He goes to rescue Lot from these evil kings. And it says in four, chapter 14, verse 18, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Uh, so then there is this continuing reference a few times in the Old Testament and then also again in the New Testament. And the question is, who is this guy? And the Hebrew writer compares uh, Christ to a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so that brings up uh, a, a lot of questions. In the Old Testament, there was really only uh, one priesthood that the people knew, that the, the Levite priesthood. The Levites were assigned based on what family they were born into, uh, their job for their whole lives was to serve uh, at the temple of the Lord and in the tabernacle, and they handled everything concerning worship and sacrifices and offerings. Uh, they knew how it was to be done. They were trained in it. It was their unique duty, but they could only do it if they were of the tribe of Levi. And so it it was different than Melchizedek. Melchizedek is this guy that kind of appears out of nowhere. We don't have any record of his genealogy or his background. We don't know where he comes from. Some people view uh, this idea that he has no, uh, he's without beginning or end, that he's some sort of special, mystical, uh, superhuman kind of guy. I don't read that far into it. I think Scripture is simply telling us that Melchizedek was a king priest. He was very uh, uh, honored by Abram. Abraham was a godly man. And when he met Melchizedek, he gave him a tithe. And so we know that, that he was uh, respected and, and honored by Abram. 
and that he served God in some way. We just don't know how. Of course, that was before all of the, the priesthood of the Levites and so forth. So uh, he was a priest. He was respected. He was honored. He was apparently godly. But he doesn't have a genealogy. He doesn't have a record. And I think that's what the scripture is saying uh, about Melchizedek. In the same way, uh, Jesus, he's saying, is a priest like Melchizedek. Uh, not in the sense he doesn't have a genealogical record, but that, that he's different from the priesthood that they understood. I think that is uh, the best I can understand of what they're saying. Uh, very well could be wrong. The Bible doesn't say a lot, but um, let's look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3 together. Here's what the writer says. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So I, I just simply think all of that is saying he was a different kind of priest. Now, I well could be wrong, but there's not enough scripture to know. And so that's uh, my answer is, your question was, who was Melchizedek? And the answer to that is a unique king priest in the Old Testament that the Hebrew writer compares Jesus to. And then the second question was, how did he have no beginning or end? And I think that is, he didn't have a genealogical record is all that's saying. That's my answer to it based on the right. research that I've done. But he, I'll still stand by my initial statement. He's a bit of a mystery. He is a mysterious <laughs> character. And uh, since both of our questions so far we've said at the end we really don't know for sure they yeah. said that there's a lot of things like that in the Bible that's that, right. uh, the Bible, yeah. God didn't want us to know yeah. the, all the details for some reason so sure. he didn't tell us and we can go as far as the Bible says but beyond that we'll... Well uh, and that gives me peace about <laughs> it because if, if the Bible doesn't reveal it clearly then you know it's not something that God considered essential yep. uh, it's interesting to think about and, and <laughs> study but yep. not yep. essential not something we want to spend a whole lot of time arguing yep. about. Right. My bottom line on a lot of things like that is I say that's not going to be on the entrance exam. <laughs> it, it, <I'm, laughs> whether I know who Melchizedek was or not exactly yep. is right. not going to get me into heaven. All right, but it is important to know the Bible and to learn about it because there's so much in it that helps us and as uh, a guide to us in this life and a lamp to our path, the psalmist called it. So we do advocate Bible study. And although there's a few things that uh, we can't know for sure exactly what it means, uh, all the basics are very, very clear and the things that we need to do to, to get to heaven and to please God. Uh, so we advocate home Bible study. We like to answer questions on the program, help you know a little bit more about your Bible. But we've got some Bible study materials that will help you learn about your Bible. If you want to take advantage of those, you see one course on the screen right now. There are eight different lessons in it. Uh, we send these to you through the mail, uh, let you work them at your own pace, uh, sit down with your own Bible in your own home and work through them. But over the years, thousands of people have gone through these courses and tell us how much they uh, appreciate them, how much they learned about the Bible. So you can do that yourself, uh, absolutely free of charge. Phone number, website are on the screen at all the times. Uh, just log in or give us a call and tell us you'd like that free course. We'll get it started for you, and you can know a lot more about your Bible pretty quickly. So 
avail yourself of that if you want to study the Bible a little bit more. All right, question, uh, kind of a true-false question here. The viewer says, is taking the Lord's name in vain and blaspheming the Holy Spirit, are those the same thing? Well, two different things in the Bible, and my short answer is no, those are not the same thing. Uh, taking the Lord's name in vain is one of the commandments. Those of you that are familiar with the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not take the Lord God's name in vain. Uh, that today we kind of think of it as cuss words and cursing and using God's name carelessly or frivolously like that is a curse word. Uh, certainly that's bad and we shouldn't do it and I'm sure it offends uh, our Father. Uh, but the commandment is really about vows and uh, promises. And uh, if you say you're going to do something and you swear it uh, by the name of God, then he says you've got to keep that vow. Uh, don't use his name in vain. Don't swear that you're going to do something and then not follow through on it. That's using his name in vain or worthlessly is what that means. So it was really more about uh, testifying or taking vows and all of that in the Old Testament. Now, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is something that Jesus brought up when the Pharisees accused him of doing miracles by the power of Satan. They saw the miracle. They knew that something miraculous had happened, but they didn't want to admit that Jesus had the power of God. So they said, well, Satan must have done it. And Jesus said, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's blaspheming the work of the Holy Spirit and attributing it to Satan or someone else. Uh, so that's a completely different thing. Uh, today, if I was to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, I think the best example would be somebody that says this book uh, is not written by God. God didn't write this book. Men wrote this book, or Satan helped them write this book. Uh, it's, it's worthless. There's no good. It's just written by men. I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit if I say that and believe that. And Jesus said for that, you know, there's no hope for you. <laughs> and that's true. If you don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, then there's no way you're going to learn the truth about God. So, very different things. One has to do with vows, using God's name in vain, and one has attributing the God's work or the Holy Spirit's work uh, to someone else or to Satan. So, nope, those are not the same thing. Next question that the viewer submits is uh, this one. Because of health, I am unable to go to church. Will God hold that against me? Well, to answer your question directly, if the a situation is as you described. No, I do not believe God will hold that against you. Uh, that in some way God is, uh, you know, up up in heaven uh, with a some master roll sheet and checking off how many times you've been there or how many times you haven't. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, and that's what saves us. Now, meeting with the church is good for us. It's something that we ought to do because of the things that we can do together. We encourage one another. We worship the Lord together. We sing together. We pray together. We take communion. We gather together at His table. Those are all good things. Those are all necessary things in the life of a Christian. But if a person simply can't due to their physical condition, certainly God understands. Now, if you're a Christian, I can understand easily how this would quickly get discouraging because God didn't intend us to live the Christian life uh, in isolation. 
the good news is I still believe you can do a great deal of good uh, even if you're confined to your home. Uh, one example, we, we mention it here all the time, but if you wanted to grow in your understanding of the Word, you could sign up for the Bible Correspondence Course. You could do that through the mail and still keep up with your Bible study and learning and growing and maturing in Christ. Another good thing you could do is, is uh, make phone calls. You know, there are probably other people in your situation that are homebound, unable to get out, and they are so lonely and just need somebody to talk to. And someone like you understands their condition, maybe get a list of those people out and give them a call once a week or something. Uh, that would be a great encouragement. That's the work of the church. You could write cards. We have a lady at, at the church where we attend that she's very diligent about sending everybody at the church a birthday card. Well, that's an encouragement. See, a Christian can still do much of the good work of the church, uh, even when their physical condition keeps them from attending and being with the assembly uh, gathered together. Uh, sometimes that happens on a temporary basis. Sometimes that happens on a, a more permanent basis. We have a young man at uh, our church who recently had a heart transplant. The doctor said, hey, you got to stay away from those crowds. You know, it's just you, you, there's some risk there. So for a time, he wasn't able to attend. And when he did attend, he had to kind of stay a little bit separate to make sure he was okay. Well, that's all right. I mean, God understands those things. So uh, God's not up there taking role. Uh, meeting together is good for us, and there's lots of good benefits that come from it. One final thing I'll say is that uh, you fortunately live in the Internet age. Many churches, including our own, uh, stream worship services live where you can watch them uh, from your phone, your iPad, your computer, uh, and you can, in a sense, meet with the saints even though you're not able to be there in person. And that's a good thing, too. I'd like to encourage you to do that. So lots of good opportunities. Don't just uh, say, well, woe is me, I can't do anything. There's lots of good you can do for the church and with the church. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Don't get discouraged. You still have uh, lots of uh, opportunities and much good you can do. All right, let's talk about ghosts here for a little while. A viewer wants to know, if there are no such thing as ghosts, uh, where did the term Holy Ghost come from? Well, I assume this viewer watched one of our programs where we were asked, uh, are, are there ghosts? Are there dead spirits out there haunting houses and things like that? Uh, and I think our answer to that was probably, we, uh, we don't think so. We don't, don't think God allows that. Uh, the story about the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man was in Hades, the place of the dead, and he wanted to come back to earth and warn his brothers. And uh, God told him, no, you, you can't go back. So we don't believe that dead spirits occupy this world and are loose running around among us somehow. Uh, so that's probably what we answered on that. And the viewer said, well, if there aren't ghosts, then what's the Holy Ghost? Well. The translation of the word is what gives us a little problem here. Uh, today we generally refer to the Holy Ghost as the Holy Spirit. 
the word spirit in Greek was pneuma, which you may recognize in pneumatic or something like that. It's air. Uh, it means it's an invisible being is basically what the term spirit kind of connotates. Uh, and in the 1600s, people translated that word as ghost and used the word ghost uh, for spirit or pneuma. Uh, so King James Version calls him the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is the way it's translated. Now since then, ghost has come to have a different meaning. Since then, we've come up with Casper and the mm -hmm. Ghostbusters and all that kind of stuff where ghosts are kind of either funny cartoon characters or they're evil, they run around causing trouble. Uh, so over the years, the term has kind of come to be, spirit is a little bit more acceptable. It doesn't remind us of Casper and all that kind of stuff. So the Holy Spirit uh, is a being, an invisible being uh, who is holy, who is part of the Trinity. So that's where the term comes from. Holy Spirit is just more acceptable today and more uh, explanatory of what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit does exist, uh, although the dead spirit kind of ghost moving around the world don't exist. So hopefully that explains it. Let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We uh, like to mention some each week, one or two that uh, help support this program. And today we want to recognize the, the church in St. John, Kansas. Uh, a great bunch of Christians there. Been there a long time, a long time supporters of uh, Know Your Bible. Uh, ministers out there, Carl Farrell and Tom Turner, great guys. And I know you'd uh, enjoy meeting them and the, the family there at St. John's. So if you live in that neighborhood, uh, drop in sometime or maybe you know one of somebody that attends there, tell them that you've been watching the program and you appreciate them helping provide it for you. So uh, visit that church or any Church of Christ. And if you're in one of our viewing areas, you can probably find one close to you. Tell me, you got time for question uh, I think, the next one, yeah. or you want to yeah, put it off? It's yeah, got a lot of stuff in it. It's got a big one. Let's uh, <laughs> go ahead and take yours, and okay. uh, we'll, All right. we'll come well, back to that in another episode. I, I think we got time. <laughs> we, we'll save that one for next time. Okay, okay. Uh, you had a question earlier about angels and uh, said we didn't know much about them. Well, somebody wants to know about them. Uh, yeah. What are the nine orders of angels? Well, that's something that's not in the Bible. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us much about angels. It uses the term archangel, uh, so we know there is some division and organization among angels, uh, but beyond that, we just don't know much. Uh, we only have a couple of angels that are even named in the Bible. Now, creative men <laughs> have dreamed up all sorts of things about angels. Uh, some of you may have read the Frank Peretti books about the spiritual warfare and all that, and those are great pictures and great fiction, uh, but he's created a lot of it from things that aren't in the Bible. And he's got all kinds of ranks of angels and orders of angels and captains and <laughs> commanders and all that. Very interesting to read, but you can't find that in the Bible. Now, there are some people that have taken some words from the Bible and organized them into an order. And I found a chart on the internet I'll show you. Uh, this is one religious group's list of the order of angels, and there are nine orders supposedly. 
Uh, you can read them yourself, but from seraphim on down to just plain old angels, uh, and thrones and dominions and virtues, and those words are in the Bible, uh, but I don't think they're referring to orders of angels. But some people will tell you that, so I put that up for you to see. We're out of time today and don't have the time for any more questions, but we want to make sure we get our trivia question answered. And that was named Joseph's only full brother. He just had one full brother. He and Rachel, uh, Rachel's their mother, uh, Benjamin, was his full brother. So that's the answer to that one. All the rest of them were by other mothers. Uh, we're going to be back next week with some more questions for you and try to answer them. We hope that you've uh, enjoyed the answers we had today, but we'll invite you to be back next week for more of them. Uh, until then, we hope that you have a great week. We'll see you next week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.